This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. What, you, what happens when bad days come? I haven't chosen this title, just this topic, because I feel that we're particularly in any bad days, or that, uh, we're, that good days are necessarily about to come, although I do, do hope that uh, the move brings some blessing on us. But just we're uh, in one's, uh, 1 Samuel, and we got to chapter, um, chapter 20, ch- 21. Chapter 21, and so we're just going to look at that. So let me read, and then I'll make... No, no, I'll make a comment first, and then we'll read. If you Google famous people who met rock bottom, it, it tends to come up with the same few people. It tends to come up with Steve Jobs, who was the founder of Apple, um, who was sacked from, his own com- sacked from his own company. And obviously he went out, and while he was, for a long time, you know, what is he going to do? He formed Pixar Animations, and then he came back and rebooted Apple, and we've now all paid him our money. Or the other person that tends to come is Nelson Mandela, 27 years in prison. Um, you know, goes from being the son of a, an African prince to university and then into, and then because of his opposition to apartheid, his godly opposition, I believe, in prison for 27 years and then obviously taken out of prison, becomes the president multiracial South Africa. And that up and down journey, I've talked about it before. Uh, or the other one that, that really tends to get a mention is Abraham Lincoln. But he started off and he was, tried to run a business and that failed. Uh, so if you've ever run a business and that's failed, that, that's a good start. He had a nervous breakdown. He was defeated eight times in, a, in his attempt to uh, take political office in Illinois, Chicago. Eight times he lost. And obviously, he then ends up becoming, I think, the ninth or tenth president of the United States. He was uh, critical in the abolition of, of, of slave owning in the United States. Uh, it didn't end incredibly well for him because he was the first president to be assassinated. Uh, but, but that kind of upward, downward journey is, is, is typical of people. Uh, and it's not inevitable that you're ever going to hit rock bottom. It really isn't. But I would say that probably as you age, you've had those moments. The older you are, the more likely when you see the pattern of your life that it's not like a graph that just goes up and to the right and you start and things get better and better and better and better and then you go to heaven. What tends to happen is the graph tends to be a little bit more up and down, a little bit more bumpy. It tends to have those moments where you feel, is it all going well? What's happening? You have those dark moments. And, and you don't need to read much of the Bible to know that that's true. It's certainly, it's certainly true of Jesus. You know, he leaves heaven, that downward trajectory really, finds himself alone in the garden, di- uh, uh, dying in the dark, abandoned by his father on the cross, 
resurrection, ascension, and glory. And you see that passage in Philippians. And that's the Christian life. You, you see that with, with Job. You see it with all sorts of people. And, and we're going to find, uh, in this moment, we're going to find that with David. Uh, so let's just read some verses. I'm going to read a few verses from 1 Samuel 21, and then I'm going to jump a little section. So I'm going to read to verse 9, and then just read the first couple of verses of 22. So it should come up here. If it doesn't, hopefully I'll read it with some sort of eloquence. David went to Nob, to Elimelech the priest. Elimelech trembled when he met him. Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Elimelech the priest, The king sent me on a mission and said to me, No one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you. As for my men, I've told them to meet me in a certain place. Now then, what have you to hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. The priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread to hand, however there are some, some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us as usual whenever we are sent out. The men's bodies are all are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, and since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced with hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord, Doeg the Edomite, uh, Saul's chief shepherd. David asked Elimelech, do you have a, a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mess- mission is urgent. The police replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine you killed in the valley of Elia, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want to take it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. And then verse 22, sorry, chapter 24, first two verses. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. On all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Father, we just pray as we Look at David as he, we catch him in a downward spiral. We catch him lying, faking. We catch him uh, as a madman, pretending in fear. And we catch him alone in a cave. Lord, I pray that we'd learn the lessons of what it is to be brought to nothing. And I pray, Lord, that as we catch some of his heart, some of his confidence in you in the dark moments that we too would find ourselves finding confidence and trust in your sovereignty in the dark moments of our life. Amen. So it's interesting that the story is that David has been chased by Saul. Last time I was preaching it was David and Jonathan and David has been, has been befriended by Jonathan but Saul, uh, Jonathan's brother, Saul the king, wants to kill David because he's jealous of David and he's worried that David is going to take, all his, take the kingdom off him because he's heard that he's being anointed by Samuel. So basically, we get, you get about eight, nine, ten chapters where David's just on the run from Saul. And Saul increasingly gets more desperate. David has opportunities to kill Saul and he doesn't. Uh, because he believes that Saul uh, is God's anointed, God's chosen one, and so he won't kill him, but he also believes that, that, that Saul shouldn't kill him. And so, but we find at this point here in chapter 21, 
running away and telling lies about it. So it says this, um, Saul went to Nob, which is where the priest Elimelech was, and he, Elimelech trembled when he met him and said, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered, The king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, No one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I have told them to meet me in a certain place. Now then, what have you to hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. So, so, so David is in this situation where he, he's thinking, I'm on, my, I'm on my own, I'm on the run. He, he's obviously been anointed before his brothers, he's beaten Goliath, he's married the king's daughter, he's befriended the heir to the throne. But it all seems a bit of a false dawn at this moment because David is on the run. David experiences the downward spiral uh, and as he does that, the first thing you observe is he actually doesn't tell the truth about his situation. He, he covers up what's really going on. So actually he's on the run from the king and he meets the priest and he says to the priest, um, the priest says, why are you on your own? What are you doing? And he tells a lie. He says, I'm on the king's business. Uh, I'm on a, I'm on a, you know, it's like the Blues Brothers, isn't it? I'm on a mission from God. I'm on, you know, I'm on a secret mission from the king. And no one knows about it. And my men out with me because, you know, I've told them to meet me somewhere else. It's just lies. Basically, he's not on the, on the king's business. He's, he's on the run. And, he's, and his men have, uh, he's left his men. His men have left him. And he, so he, t- he tells a lie about his circumstances. And I guess the first thing just to notice is if you find yourself in a difficult situation, if you find yourself uh, on a downward slide, then it's easy to tell lies about it. Let me just say something about downward slides. Sometimes uh, you find yourself on a downward slide and it's nothing really that you've done. So you can, the story of Job in the Bible, one of the oldest stories in the Bible, Job finds himself on a downward slide, he finds his crops uh, burned, his, his cattle taken, his house destroyed, his family killed, he finds himself on his own, and we, find, we read in the beginning of that, it's because God has said to the devil, there's no one as upright as, as, as Job. He's a really good man, so the enemy says, right, I'm going to give him a hard time. And he says, God says, you can take everything from him, but don't take his life. And actually, we find in the story of Job that his friends say, the reason why this bad stuff has happened to you is because it's your fault. And we know from the, from the little insight we get of the way Job's written, that behind the scenes, that actually it's not there. So sometimes difficult and dark moments can come upon you, and it's nothing to do with you. In that sense, it's just that God allows difficult circumstances to come. God allows pressure or challenge or, or opposition to come against you, and it's none of your fault. More often the case, however, is difficult times come on you when it's your fault. So the story of the prodigal son, again, perhaps a famous story, a parable that Jesus tells, that the, the son says to his father, I wish you were dead, takes his money, goes off to a foreign land, spends it on wine, women and prostitutes, and when the money runs out and there's a famine, he finds himself with the pigs, and he thinks, what an idiot I've been. And then he says, obviously I'm going to go back to my father. But, but that downward trajectory is his choice. And it's difficult to point that out. So there's some churches where you're on a downward trajectory and they'll say, well, it's always your fault because you need to believe God more. And there's some churches, if you admit you're on a downward trajectory, you get a difficult time. Some churches, you say, well, actually, downward trajectories just happen. 
and you just got to trust God in it. So it's difficult to tease out. But, but here, David really is on a downward trajectory on no fault of his own. But how he responds to it isn't great. Because he basically tells a lie that it's all fine. I don't know if you ever, when time is difficult, and I'm trying not to look at anybody because you think, oh, he knows my story, he knows my story. <laughs> if you know, if you're in a difficult time, it's so easy to say, I'm fine, isn't it? Saul said, David says, I'm on the king's business. You know, David's the hero, I'm on the king's business. He doesn't say, man, I'm scared stiff, I'm running for my life, you know, I... Everything's unraveling, it's a complete mess. No, I'm on the king's business. And I, 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 I do that. We do that. You know, you, it was a classic moment in our G1C. Uh, we get on really well as a G1C. And um, I think Naomi just said a couple of weeks back, So, how's your Bible reading going? She's doing really well. No, well, you might not have said it so bluntly. You. <laughs> You just said, I'm reading the Bible in a year with Nicky Gumball on my iPad, and I'm really loving it. How's everybody else getting on? And there was this... <laughs> yeah? Wasn't there? Yes, yes. Yeah, we're doing fine. I'm on the king's business. Yes, yes, yes. I was just reading Kings the other day, and the Lord mightily spoke to me. Uh, you know, we can do that, can't we? And we, it, it's so easy to say, I'm doing fine. Spiritually, I'm doing great. Spiritually, I'm doing wonderfully well. I'm on the king's business. And actually, you know that that's not true. And David here is just like the rest of us. He's on the downward slide. And he just, when the, when the leader, the priest asks him how he's doing, fine. One of the things about having me in a three with you is two things, really. But one is people are surprised that when I'm having a bit of a downward slide, that sometimes that makes people wobble. But also people don't like to tell me when they're not doing well. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm doing fine. Oh, it's going wonderfully. And, and we've got to get real. And sometimes when people in leadership ask you how you're doing, we're even more inclined to tell fibs. That we've got to get to the point where we, we say, ah, and it's all right to say that. Uh, it's, it pressures on. I don't know why this is difficult. I know, and I said this when I preached at the Prabhupada Arts Centre on the Taster Sunday. When I first get the phone call from Cheltenham ladies saying, You can't have it, I lie on the ground face down and cried and said, God, I don't want to do this job. I hate this. If you're not with us, don't, if you're not going to bless us, if you're not going to give us breakthrough, if you're not with us, I don't want to do this. Yeah, and I can I can remember when I told some if I told some people before we got the um, the really good venue, you know, oh Howard is losing his faith, he's you know, uh, but now I just was like, ah, oh, it's a terrible. I really, I literally lay on the floor and said, God, I'm done. If you don't give us breakthrough, I don't want to do this. It was interesting. My reading that morning, I may have said this. I was thinking that I think it says when there's no cattle in the store, when there's no grapes on the vine, when there's no whatever, still I'll praise you. And I thought, oh come on then. So I washed my face, took my dog out, and said, God, I'm just going to praise you. I feel totally like I don't want to. I don't, I don't, I'm not enjoying this, but God, I trust you. And I think that it's okay to say I'm, I'm having a hard time. Now, if you're off doing some sinning, and then you say, well, I'm having a hard time, well, the answer is, stop sinning. Yeah? 
Yeah, I've got real problems. I remember this one guy, student, it's a long time ago now, so you won't guess who he was. Uh, one guy said, I've got real problems with my finances. And then when you dug down into it, the guy's he's gambled his old student loan away at the kind of slot machines. Yeah? And he could have said, oh, I've got real problems with my finances. It's really terrible. I think, well, do you know what? Yeah? Other times, people have pressure with their finances, and you think, why is that happening? But let's face facts and say, this is where we are. You know, when, when, it's, when you feel like quitting, when you feel like, oh, there's nothing there, when you feel like you're going to the bottom of a spiral, you're going to hit rock bottom, that, that, that you will not get out of it unless you take your mask off and say, this is where I'm at. Not that we glory in rock bottom moments, but let's face them. So he, he lies about it. And, and the second thing is interesting. He, he tries to live on past victories. Let me just read here 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 22, 8. If it's not there, don't worry. David asked Elimelech, the priest, do you have a sword or a spear? Interesting question to ask a priest, isn't it? Have you got a sword or a spear? But anyway, he says, I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business is urgent. There he is lying again. The priest replied, I have the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, who you killed. It is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the altar. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, there's no sword like it. Give it to me. Interestingly enough, that, that David is remembered for his victory over Goliath. And when the pressure is on, uh, there's, there's a temptation for him to grab for old victories. There's a temptation for him to grab this sword and say, now I've got this sword, I'm what I used to be. I've got this sword, it's a massive sword by the way. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not what I used to be. But actually, we know in the story that David didn't win because of the sword, did he? Why did he win? Yeah, he gave the guy a bang on the head with a stone or your... Because God was with him, yeah. He said, I, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. So David wasn't winning, he wasn't having his high moment because he had the sword. But the sword came to him to represent, I think, the kind of past victories. And you can easily get into a life where actually you talk about past things that have happened to you. Uh, I remember my mum and dad used to gather a group of people in our home. And um, some of them were about my age. I thought they were really old at the time. Uh, some of them my age. And, they, and I remember this one particular person. Every time you spoke to, spoke to him, it was a guy called Bob. Uh, and, um, and every time you spoke to him, he says, I remembered when I was filled with the Spirit when I was 23. And I thought, well, you're 50 odd now. And he'd always say that. Oh, I remember when I was filled with the Spirit. I was in this meeting and the Spirit of God came on me. And I thought, well, that's great. But actually, it's so easy to remember past stuff when actually the bottom line is hollowed out. So youth, oh, I was a member when I was at New Day. So the middle of November, December, January, when your really life's Christian life is like in a bit of a corner. You say, oh, I remember those moments when I was in the worship at New Day. And that's great. But actually, it's about how is it now? And we can so easily hold on to old victories. We can say, oh, I remember when I beat, beat that sin habit years ago. I remember when, when my relationships were transformed. I remember when, when I was living a gospel life. I remember I was really missional. And we can tell those stories. I've got that temptation. So Damien, who's coming to our alpha meal, it's still the best gospel story I've got of somebody saving someone. Although, 
Laura's going to tell her story at the baptism, so it's getting there. But you know what I'm saying? Is we can easily think as a church or as individuals, wasn't it great when that person got saved all those years ago? And that's great, but actually, we don't want to live on past victories. We don't want to live on past victories. We don't want our victories to become memories. We want to say, so we're holding on to the kind of icon of the past victories. We want to be saying, no, the battle is still the Lord's. I'm still in faith. I'm still trusting. We need to make sure that the story of God's grace is still fresh. That our faith is stronger than when we first started. That our passion for God burns brightly now or more brightly than when we first became a Christian. Uh, that, That we're more committed to God's church now than when we first encountered God's loving community. But that's not the case. Remember Finia, American gospel preacher said the trouble is that new Christians get around old Christians and new Christians are all excited I'm going for God isn't it wonderful we're going to save the world and they get around old Christians they say sit down take a chill pill and before they know it they've picked up the apathy he said that 100 years ago probably a long time ago and think wow but we need to say we need to live fresh So David is telling lies, not facing the facts about his downward spiral, living on past victories, and um, we missed a section out where actually, where he used to be killing Goliath, uh, killing uh, Philistines, in fact, uh, just to to keep it a little fruity, uh, when when Saul said, would you like to marry my daughter? He said, well, I've got no money. I've got no money to give you as a a dowry for your daughter. And uh, Saul, does anyone know what Saul asked David to bring? Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) A hundred Philistine foreskins. David went, sold. Two hundred Philistine foreskins. You know, imagine that. So it's like you go to the, we were at Essie and um, Tom's wedding last weekend, and what have you brought uh, on the wedding list? A hundred foreskins. <laughs> yeah, all the dead bodies. You know, <laughs> so D- David is like, he's the Philistine slayer, but yet when he's finding the downward spiral, he, he has to run away to the Philistine camp, you know, he's on the Gaza Strip. And, and what happens is he starts to act like a madman. We didn't read it. He starts to pretend to be mad. He foams at the mouth. He's gnawing at the gatepost. He's kind of like acting like an idiot. And, like, and, and the Philistine said, King says, have we got enough madmen that you send me this guy? I thought he was the one that slain 10,000. And now he's mad. And I know that spiritually we don't do that. Foaming at the mouth, gnawing at the gatepost. But actually... When I, I find that, that when, pressure, when pressure's on, people do strange stuff. And that's a sign, perhaps, that they're on this downward spiral. David finds himself, after being with the Philistines, he runs away and he finds himself in a cave, which is, we read at the beginning of chapter 22. He finds himself in this cave of Adullam and he's, he's on his own. And... What do you do when you get there? I wrote here in my notes. What, what do you do when everything's stripped away? The security of your job is gone. Your friends are married or have left you. Uh, your gifts seem unnoticed or your talents passed by. Or what, what, when, when God's call on your life doesn't work out how it did, it seems to be a dead end. When every hope seems to have come to nothing, how do you, how do you cope with that? And David's there. He doesn't know the end of the story. So God chose me, picked me out, anointed me in front of my brothers. I have this great victory. And now I'm on my own. 
No one's with me. I'm lost. He's in a dark cave. There's almost a, you know, a metaphor, a spiritual metaphor for this dark cave of um, despair, loneliness. He's in this dark cave facing the power of nothing. Now, he writes, the thing about David is you get to find out not only the story, but you get to find out what he's thinking, what he's feeling. I don't know if he had pen and paper. I don't know how he did it. But let's assume he had pen and paper, because, or maybe he just memorized a psalm. But he wrote some psalms. He wrote two psalms while he was in the cave that give us an idea of what's going on. The psalms, if, quiz questions, 142 and 57. Oh, there's three, is it, John? Sorry. He wrote at least two psalms. <laughs> he writes these psalms, and, and it's funny that he faces the fact. So in the first psalm, let's just some, take some verses from 141. I think we'll put them up. I'll read them off here, so I've got the same as you. 142, sorry, yes. 142. I cry aloud to the Lord. Is it, is it alone in a cave and everything seems to be going by? I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. God, I'm sick of this. Before him I tell my trouble. As if God doesn't know, but he does. When my spirit grows faint within me, I'm exhausted. I just can't carry on. It feels like everything's packing in on me. It is you who know my way. In the path where I I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Look, Look to my right and see. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Here's the tissues. <laughs> yeah, you can hear it, can't you? Oh, is that David, the mighty warrior? There's no one. I'm on my own. It's, I'm tired and I'm exhausted and I'm, it, everybody's after me. That's okay. In the, the Bible calls it lament. It's okay to lament. It's okay to say, God, I find myself in this corner. I find myself at the bottom of the ladder. I find myself in this dark cave. But the, the challenge is not to make that cave your home. Because you're all going to go there. It's not a great illustration, but uh, I heard somebody say, it's a bit like, that dark cave is a bit like the channel tunnel. It's a good place to go through, but not a good place to live. Yeah? It was actually about the Mersey Tunnel, but I thought you might not have heard of that. <laughs> yeah. Depends which way you're going. Yeah, if you're going on holiday, it's great. If, if you're coming home, oh no, back to work. Um, but it, tunnels, caves, good places to go through, not a place to live. The challenge is don't live there. If David had lived there with, I'm sick of you, God. No one's with me. You've hidden, everybody's after me, no one cares about me, no one's concerned about me. That is not a great place to live. I, you meet Christians, don't you, and they live in that cave. We're all going to be like, it's okay to have those moments where we, where we say that's how it is. That's what life is like. But what you don't want to do is to set up home in the cave. You don't want to say, this is where I am. You know, the, the tragedy, not just for, for not Christians, but just people, is that they, when they get to that dark cave, people kill themselves. There's a, a, I support Leeds United, and there was a, a Welsh footballer called Gary Speed 
who's good-looking, wealthy, had become the world's football manager, highly successful, and then it was just announced he killed himself. Nobody knows. Why do people do that? People get to the point where there's just no hope. Now, as Christians, we shouldn't be those people. And it's tragic when, when, when kids get... I mean, teenagers kill themselves. People, at the, where I was at Bath University, the high-rise uh, blocks, they had to put bars on the window to stop people jumping out at exam time. How can people get to that point of despair? And as Christians, we get to that point of despair. But we are, as Paul says, we are not those without hope. It's not, this isn't where you live. This isn't where you finish. He's, he's actually, we get a hint in here. He says, I cry aloud, finish it for me, top of the line, to the Lord. He says, I, I, I'm going to deal with God on this one. I'm going to get real with God on this one. And he's going to, that's actually why I think sometimes God lets bad stuff happen to us because uh, as that wonderful song that we should sing, <laughs> but we haven't, when the music fades and all is stripped away, does anyone know? Because I simply come. Come to Jesus. When everything's stripped away, when everything's nothing, and I'm in a dark cave, you, to, to, you need to come to him. If you don't, you're going to live there or maybe die there. It's like the prodigal son, isn't it? Does anybody know? He's, he's with the, there's a famine comes, he's spent all his money, he can't find a job, he's feeding the pigs, and does anyone know what he, what, what he says? Great. He came to himself, or he came to his senses. It says this in Luke 15. He found himself longing to eat the food that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He says, he came to his senses and says, how many of my father's servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. We're gonna have, we have to have those moments and that makes you say, it's him that I want. So sometimes in those dark moments, you don't want to say, thank you God for this lovely dark moment. But actually sometimes it strips it away and say, actually what I realize in that moment is you that I want. We are so averse to suffering and difficulty in, in our society that we, we, we never get to the point where it's him that I want. It's always something else we want. But it's not him that I want. I, I went some years ago to um, a church in uh, Chicago and there was like about probably this number of pastors who'd been invited. They all led mega churches apart from me, but you know, I worked through that one. I'm still working through it. <laughs> but this guy told this story, which it was a guy called Gene Appel. And he'd, he planted a church in Los, uh, Las Vegas, Sin City, for those of you who play computer games. Um, and he'd planted this church, and he said this. Uh, I scribbled it down some years back. It says, the church he led, or the church I led, had grown over to, uh, to over 5,000 people. we just finished a huge multi-million pound auditorium. As he drove home from the opening ceremony, he thought, 
everything was as good as it could be. When he arrived home, he opened the door. His wife, standing in the hallway with her bags packed, she said, Jean, I'm leaving you. I found and been sleeping with another man. He described it as the worst moment of his life. He said, all I did for the next three years was cry. I experienced the deepest moments of loneliness. I cried to God that she'd come back, and she never did. We'll pick up Jean's story in a minute. But in that dark moment, Jean had a choice, didn't he? In that dark moment, David had a choice. We see a little bit in Psalm 57. I think he probably wrote after Psalm 141. Maybe he got 141. He got his grumbling out of his system. And he writes this in Psalm 57. I cry out. It starts with the same thing almost. I cry out. Verse 2, I think it is. I cry. Is it there? Is it? Yeah. I cry out to God most high. To God who... I love his positivity now. His faith fulfills his purpose for me. I'm in a dark cave. God fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me. Where is the evidence? He sends from heaven and saves me. God sends his love and faithfulness. And then he worships. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. He's still in his cave. My heart is satisfied, O God. My heart is satisfied. I will sing and make music. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love. Reach into the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. What's happened? On the surface, nothing. But he's found, it's God that I want. He's buried himself into God. I can just hear him singing these words as a, echoing around the cave. It, it, it's, I mean, we used to sing it as, it's an actual hymn, isn't it? Be exalted, O God, among the heavens. It's a great hymn. Above your faithfulness stretches to the skies. Your love is beyond everything else. I'm satisfied in you. What, you've got nothing? I'm satisfied in you. <coughs> Something happened as he said, no, I'm going to drill into God. He he didn't drill into God and find God is a dark, empty cave with nothing there. He drilled into God and found that God is abundant, overflowing, full of light. Amen. (laughs) Paul says it, doesn't he? When he talks about his challenges, he says, "Uh, my grace. He's got this challenge, this dark moment, and God says to him, my grace is enough for you. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, Therefore I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. There's something amazing if you can find that. Something amazing if you can find that moment. Because what happens is, if you find the grace of God, it's very attractive. If you've been in a dark cave and you find the grace of God in there, you become very attractive. Why? Because there's lots of people in dark caves who think, what's the answer? And David says, I'll praise you among the nations. He becomes very attractive. In, in, in the verse that I read in 1 Samuel 22, he says, all of those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. 
When you've experienced fresh grace, you've got fresh grace to pour out. That actually, mission isn't a... a, if, if a if a church is poor at mission, it's not a missional strategy problem. It's a discipleship problem. Because there's no overflow of grace and joy. And we think, God, let your grace and joy overflow to me. David builds a, a church of 400 needy blokes. If you read the end of the story, he talks about, you know, his men, his 300 of this and that. But he, the, the, the people in distress, in debt, the discontented. is obviously a sermon writer, distressed, debt, discontented here are three Ds that we could talk about. But, you know, it, they, they come to him. And church might, need, might have well-rounded, nice, comfortable, excuse me, Cheltenham people, and that's okay, but actually it should have some discontented, not too much, not with me, hopefully, <laughs> those in debt, not too much, we're going to sort out your money, we're going to work it out, distress, you're going to have those things, but you're going to be transformed, you're going to find in this cave, you're going to find what David found in this cave. Paul says this, doesn't he? You know, it's so familiar. He says, not many of you are wise, talking about the church, the Corinthian church, not many of you are wise by human standards, not many influential, not many noble. God has chosen the foolish or the stupid things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised and the things that are not, the things in the cave, the dark moments to nullify everybody that's got everything, to nullify those that are. So no one can boast about anything that they've got apart from him. Let's finish. Gina Pell has been in this situation where his wife's left him, doing church, three years home alone, crying. He said it got to the point, and he says it was our, our Christmas. The first Christmas in this time. The first Christmas, he said... I was due to fly home to my mum's. It was the holidays. But first he had to do the Christmas Eve meeting. He did the meeting and after he drove home alone, because he's a man, he said, because I'm a bloke and it was Christmas, I hadn't thought about anything to eat. So I pulled into one of these roadside diners and rocked in for a restaurant and then obviously surely Las Vegas something was open. Drove for nearly an hour and a half until he found a bar that would serve him something to eat. He sat down at his table on his own and he said this. He says, no kidding, what comes up on the jukebox? Elvis Presley, are you lonesome tonight? <laughs> he said to God, what are you doing? I've just preached to thousands of people and here I am alone. He felt God say, look around the diner. Look around. He looked around and in the bar, there were about 25 people. Each one of them was sitting at a table on their own. God says, every one of these is here on Christmas Eve because they've got no one who cares. No place to go. They're here, not just here at Christmas, They're here all the time. When Gene had finished his food and wiped his tears away, he got in his car and said, God, I thank you that you brought me to this moment to keep my eyes open. Gene, as he was telling us this story, 
we were all in floods. <laughs> he, he brought out this bullet. I thought, this is a strange end to the story. What's he going to say? No, he's not going to shoot himself, Josh. That's what we all thought. <laughs> That's what we all thought. Obviously, he was <laughs> still there. He said, I keep this bullet in my drawer. He's now leading this church in Chicago, 25,000 plus. He said, I keep this bullet in my drawer. He said, because that Christmas Eve service, somebody stumbled into the meeting and, it was, and they thought, this is the end for me. He put the bullet in the gun, closed the, uh, the carriage, and put it in his belt and he's going to kill himself. And he thought, I'm just going to go to church before I die. As Gene had preached that Christmas Eve meeting, the guy found Jesus. The guy found Jesus. And it said it was a few months later when the guy got baptised. He brought a bullet. So, you know, bring a bullet. <laughs> he brought a bullet and said, this bullet was going to say, my life ended in the dark cave. He didn't quite say it like that. But this bullet says, my life was going to end in the darkness. He says, but I have found Jesus. I found hope. I found life changing. He said, and I want to give this bullet to Gene. Because you know that his wife left him. And he's been living in that dark cave. But he gave me life because he told me about Jesus. And I thought, Gene keeps it in his drawer because when he pulls out his drawer and he thinks life is good and life is great and life's about all the good things, the upward and to the right side of things of life, he pulls out the drawer and he remembers that guy. And he remembers that Elvis song and he remembers that moment when God opened his eyes. So I just want to say we're done here. If you're in a dark place or you've ever been in a dark place, don't live there. Don't pretend it's all all alright. But find God in it. Find someone else who's been in a dark place and knows what it's like and say, let's just hold each other and cry. Let's just be there and say, I know what you're feeling. Your bullet's my bullet. And let's, let's be those people who, who understand the grace of God, who understand that actually those dark places are wonderful transforming places. I tell you, in my life, I've, I had a moment in one new year where it was the darkest, deepest moment I had. I was lonely and drunk and sick and slept on the street and it was like after that moment when I sobered up I thought I'll arise go back to my father but I've always felt and I'm not saying this to brag I've always felt because I had that moment of just utter darkness I feel the grace of God and I feel it for you. And if you've had those dark moments, or you're in those dark moments, find God in them. 
Say, I'm going to rise and go back to my father if it's your own foolishness. If it's not your own foolishness and you're just in a job situation, then just say, God, you're enough for me. I am satisfied in you. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.